Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Aaron the Air. Stoked you're here. Today, I have a awesome talk with my new friend, Tanya Dijon. And Tanya is a social entrepreneur. She's also a soprano. She's an opera singer. She's very cool. Uh, she also is the co-founder of Mind Medicine Australia, which is a nonprofit that is working hard to get psychedelics, psilocybin and MDMA, namely, approved for clinical use. And this is something that I think most of us that are listening to this podcast are familiar with and its power, but we're actually going to deep dive into psychedelics today. She has a very interesting story how she, as a lifelong sober human, has still never been drunk and only encountered psilocybin four years ago with her husband, which is very interesting, very different route to this conversation than I've taken myself, and we talk about that at length. But she's very, um, she's very insightful, and it was a, just an absolute delight to connect with her. And I felt very comfortable in our conversation. I felt very at ease. I felt very patient and um, soft. So, yeah, I really appreciate her coming on. So if you guys like this podcast, consider supporting it. That's paypal.me slash in the air. Really appreciate that. And without further ado, here's a nice talk about psychedelics, shamanism, authoritarianism, and the like with my friend Tanya Dijon. Okay, Tanya, thanks so much for being here. Pleasure, honor, privilege. <laughs> okay, so let's just start. I would just love to hear you introduce yourself. Obviously, I can read all kinds of bios, but I'd love to hear you introduce yourself here. And what are the things that you're ruminating on? What are the things you're working on? What are the things you're excited about and thinking about right now? Mm. Yeah, well, um, I'm excited about um, Mind Medicine Australia, which is the, the new charity which my husband and I set up at the start of 2019, which is all about um, making sure that psychedelic-assisted therapies become available and accessible to people suffering with mental illnesses. So I'm excited about that work. Um, I'm ruminating on the fact that um, I can't really do any public performances at the moment, which is really depressing. So. I'm, I'm generally um, performing once or twice a week and giving keynote speeches. And I had like this whole schedule planned for all of this year, which included some amazing keynote speeches in LA and concerts in France and, you know, like years of work really in planning, you know, as you know, any, any schedule for, for what you're doing. So I'm very sad about, about that. And I, I miss that creative outlet. Um, I miss that connection with with people, with other human beings. Um, you know, it's lovely to see you on this Zoom call, but it's not the same, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's touching and feeling and really um, communing with people, but it's better than nothing, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, summing it up, I'm um, I'm a serial social entrepreneur. I'm a opera singer. Um, I'm a public speaker. I'm a, an alchemist. 
I create some magic and um, I'm very passionate about creativity and innovation and helping people to unlock their full, their full voice, their full creative potential as human beings. Mm, I love that. I'm curious how you think, uh, you mentioned psychedelics uh, in a clinical sense, but what are yeah. the role of psychedelics in unlocking our potential? Massive. I mean, like, um, I'm, I'm so lucky that I came across these medicines and I call them medicines because that's what they actually are when they're used intentionally. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm a person who never had any drugs at all until four and a half years ago. I've never got drunk. <laughs> um, I don't drink coffee, you know, like, uh, you know, <laughs> my, my drug of choice has always been um, singing, which is yeah. a super duper wonder mm -hmm. drug. If you watch my TED talk, mm -hmm. uh, singing together changes the brain. You can see the magic of, of singing with other people. But really, it was just one of these fluky things that I, I came across a blog uh, of Tim Ferriss, who I subscribe to, and uh, his Friday Five Bullet blog. And about four and a half years ago, there was an article, a blog that, you know, he was saying, well, I've invested or donated a hundred thousand US dollars to Imperial College for research on psilocybin. I didn't even know what psilocybin was. I, I click on the link. It's an article by Michael Pollan called The Trip Treatment and it's in the mm -hmm. New Yorker. Well before he wrote his book that has become a bestseller, you know, How to Change Your Mind, which he's yeah. written three years ago. And so I click on the link, I read this article about this guy, a Jewish guy actually, so my background's Jewish, I'm the daughter and granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. And I read this article about this guy who's having end of life anxiety, I think he had a terminal diagnosis, he was part of a New York University study and he healed like all his anxiety, his intergenerational trauma, all this stuff. And I just read the article. And I said to my husband, we have to do this treatment. Mm. <laughs> um, we don't really, you know, we don't have a classified mental illness. So we tried to get into some of the trials in the UK, um, but we didn't fit the, you know, the particular criteria as, and there weren't any patient uh, trials for healthy patients. So we um, eventually found a, a private therapist in the Netherlands um, and we flew, we flew there and we had this mega dose of psilocybin and um, we were blown into the cosmos yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was, you know, the most profound experience in my mm. entire life. I mean, it was mm. like so profound, um, so meaningful and this sense of boundless, mm expansive consciousness, this sense of, you know, I'm part of everything, everything's part of me, this oneness, this connection. And yeah, you know, some of my intergenerational trauma came up, you know, I did see the Holocaust and I saw other things as well that I didn't even know that, you know, maybe, maybe they were part of my past lives. I'm not really sure, but I saw also the incredible beauty of, this amazing universe that we all live mm. in, you know, this super connected and not by Wi-Fi and social media, but this, this world that we're all co-inhabiting. Mm -hmm. And it was so profound for me. Like I've never looked at um, a blade of grass or a leaf or a flower or the sky or anything the same again. <laughs> you know, you see this fractillion, magnificence of everything in nature and you think this is just perfect you know like we're all part of this magnificent place and if only everyone could see this beauty and and if we could preserve that beauty for future generations instead of destroying it you know and and really treasure the sacred nature well the sacredness of of nature and humanity and the fact really that that we're all part of one another you know that was so profound and i look i i had done a lot of work in my life you know i've, I've i was fortunate enough to spend a number of days with ramdas and and i did a workshop with stan groff and 
I've worked with some of the really leading um, teachers and thinkers, but actually having these medicines in an intentional way for healing and for seeing more of what is here, mm -hmm. that was really profound. And mm -hmm. I encourage people to, to use these medicines in a very intentional way, like at Mind Medicine Australia, and I have, I have two hats, I guess, in this dialogue with you. One of them is that, you know, I'm the co-founder and executive director of Mind Medicine Australia. And Mind Medicine Australia is focused on the medical um, use of these mm -hmm. profound sacred medicines for, for healing conditions like depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, end-of-life anxiety, substance abuse and um, addictions and, you know, a number of other conditions. But mm -hmm. as a seeker and explorer, um, I say to everyone, you know, if you can work with these medicines in an intentional way with a great guide to help you through, then that's a great way to, uh, to use these medicines yeah. uh, and, get, get, you know, expand your consciousness. Yeah. So it's a very interesting story to hear that you'd never done any drugs until four years ago, until you went to the yeah. Netherlands and had a mega dose of psilocybin. Yeah, that's right. And then about a year later, we had another, an even higher dose, hmm. the same guide. Um, cool. What kind of dose are we talking more, about here? Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about uh, this guide was that he uses a protocol called psilocybin. Uh, and psilocybin is a combination of Syrian rue, which is an MAOI inhibitor. Yeah. So it mm. stops the psilocybin from being broken down in your gut, allowing more of the substance to really, you know, help you to transcend. So we took the Syrian rue about 45 minutes to an hour before the psilocybin. Harmalas. And so what the, huh? They're called harmalas. Hamala, Peganum Hamala. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. And so the Peganum Hamala, um, there's three grams of that. And what that does is it amplifies the, the, the effect of the psilocybin by between two to five times. <laughs> so I don't really know, like, you know, I, I totally trusted the guide. And, you know, maybe we had two grams, but it was possibly amplified yeah. to, to four Amazing. or to ten, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but we needed a large dose because we wouldn't have been able to travel out of our body mm -hmm. um, into this altered state unless we'd had a high enough dose. I mean, we were mm. not people who'd ever been high before. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is an amazing conversation. And honestly, I'm just like, I'm so intrigued here. Just, um, you know, when we talk about the difference between someone's bio and someone's experience is very different. The, to focus on the clinical implications of psychedelics is a very humane thing to do, especially once you can see the immense power that they have in your own life, as well as to look back on the history of humanity and see how for thousands of years, ancients used these things to not only heal, and I actually don't actually know as many stories of them using to heal as much as they used them to transcend to that's to right. come into the next level of personhood that's right these are yeah. rites of passages these are rites coming of, of age yeah. and mm -hmm. so in my own life i like you am a very i was a very pious person and didn't touch psilocybin until i was 15 and have only done it 150 times or so so <laughs> i <laughs> Um, and it's funny because, you know, it, it took me years to learn how to do it with intention. Yeah. You know, the intention at first was, oh my God, this is the funnest thing ever. You just like, have <laughs> you ever swam on mushrooms? It's the no, best. I haven't. I haven't <laughs> you know? done so that yet. We used to just go swimming and we used to just go do the things that we did outside. And <laughs> the same wonder that you're talking about for the blade of grass, of just like the water and the shape of the waterfall uh, and the colors the and groups, the textures yeah. and the sensations and the yeah. experience. Yeah. Isn't it amazing eating like a piece of, like a blueberry or a raspberry at the end of a, 
of a ceremony yes. trip. So in the First, years, in the years following all of this, I have, uh, I'm reluctant to call myself a guide because um, I know the depth at which that has been undertaken. And I don't consider myself that, but I definitely have given uh, a lot of people their first psychedelic experience. I have guided a lot of people through their first experience and I um, curate music and food and um, places, settings and intentions and have guided a lot of different parties through starting with an intention and an exercise and connection and then going into uh, a reflection and then peaking somewhere at all night dance party and then coming back into a transformational, how would I say? I refer to it as the third trimester. Once you get your words back and you can start to affirm each other and you can start to laugh about the experience and you can start to express your experience and you can start to share and you can start to connect and, and really like the transformation can crystallize. And so these are things that I'm very familiar with. And I've had a number of talks with Dr. John Verveke about the, rites of passage, the coming of age, and how we're missing that in our current society. And yeah, and how ancient civilizations used these different medicines to, as the disruptor. And so, which brings us to an interesting, you know, there's right now in our world, you know, this podcast took a sharp turn when COVID happened because I was energized and encouraged by the idea that there was a global disruptor. And that I thought, oh, maybe people won't think I'm crazy if I'm talking about the kind of things that I had been studying and talking about in my more personal conversations. And so there was a part of me that was very hopeful that COVID was going to be like the mushroom trip that allowed people to disrupt from their lives enough to see the whole thing so that they could have an appreciation for the blade of grass and the blueberry and the bees once again. And I think that you and I probably both shared that, that excitement or that inspiration. And maybe we're both somewhat disappointed at the, call toward back towards normalcy or back towards dis, the dysfunction that we were in as we see police states and we see uh, further separation. I think the, the, yeah. That you division. List, yeah, yeah. Division. the things that you listed as the most prominently helped by psychedelics in a clinical sense were depression, anxiety, right. um, and Trauma. the, th- Yeah, these are, for me, in my head, they kind of live in the place of separation. Like these are the separation things, right? This is like, and so the idea that the psychedelics are a powerful disruptor that bring you back into connection and integration. Yeah. And that's why they're such a powerful healing tool for the things that ail us from the place of separation that's right they bring us back into our full self mm-hmm. you know that full awakened being mm-hmm. that we that is our birthright and at the moment what we're seeing is more and more disconnection and isolation and loneliness division mm-hmm. you know the very definition really of depression or most mental illnesses is that sense of disconnection and if people feel connected it's amazing how the depression starts to lift Hmm. and that doesn't have to be connection necessarily you know to a specific other human being that's to a connection to everything um that is Mm -hmm. and to your point about vision or you know that those rites of passage you know i often think that wouldn't it be amazing if you know young people today you know 13 14 15 you know it's very critical 10 years had a chance to work intentionally with these medicines to help them to, you know, to become Hmm. an adult, to take on 
that role um, and to feel what a gift it is. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to, I want to respond to that. And it's a little bit of a pushback here because I, I did have the experience of being quite young and quite undeveloped as I started to take these drugs. And so Uh, maybe it's too young. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a, I actually, I actually want to jam with you for a moment on the things that we can do to get these things that we don't actually need the drug because the drug helps us glimpse the thing that we actually are. The drug helps us glimpse what is inside of us. It gives us a taste of what's actually in there. And so the call for psychedelics to be brought back into a clinical psychological or a, yeah, psychological setting is only relevant in a time where we're so disconnected from what we actually are. And because we are. That's, that's we the are. fact. I mean, not, exactly. just, just, not just COVID. I mean, we were disconnected well before then. Absolutely. Uh, the meaning crisis has been happening for, uh, you know, Absolutely. Decades. And if you yeah. watch, you know, like that new documentary, The Social Dilemma, mm. you know, and we see and we understand how we're being manipulated mm-hmm. by external forces, it becomes mm-hmm. really, really important to think how we can get back to ourselves, mm. our real self. I agree. Ourselves. I agree. And so I think this is an important part of the, the conversation. And so I, I'd love to jam on this with you for a minute here. And this is the idea that the psychedelic drugs actually might just be a placeholder for what is inherently there and inherently good. And so in my discussions with Verveke, he basically, the guy is so incredibly knowledgeable and well-read. It's just astounding. And so he just walks us back through the last 10,000 years of humanity and how we started rites of passage at all. And so to look back at the ways that humanity has done these things, and when I say these things, I mean achieving personhood. One of the things that hit me in the head so hard with that talk with John was he says, Ari, personhood is an achieved state of being. You don't just, you're not just born and you're a person. No, you're born and you're a human, but you're not a person. You're not a, and, Mm -hmm. and furthermore, adulthood is an achieved state of being. Manhood is an achieved state of being, right? To be a husband, to be a wife, to be a father. These are achieved states of being. And these different ceremonies and rituals that humanity used to have, they used myriad disruptors, right? It wasn't just these plant medicines. Pain is a very powerful disruptor. And it's like the African tribes, they are the Amazonian tribes who made their late adolescent males put their hands in these mitts full of bullet ants, right? And they made them do it like for an hour a day, every other week for like a year or something. It's just like these crazy things or like having to jump off of the tower with your legs tied to vines. And it's just scary. So (laughs) we live in a time where personhood is assumed, where equality is like assumed based on people's personhood which is, for me, we kind of are losing this gray area where we should give everyone dignity, but like personhood is something that we need people to achieve so that they feel like they've achieved it, so that they operate in a way in the world in which they feel like they're empowered and they're embodied and they actually give their gift to the world instead of just waiting for where's my place and where's my time and where's my turn. So, I think this is a ranty, a long ranty way of saying that I'm, I'm very glad that you're doing what you're doing because I think that psychedelics right now are so incredibly powerful and so incredibly relevant and salient as a tool to wake us up out of the, as some people have referred to, the big nap. Yeah. The big nap. Since World War II, we've been in a big nap. This has just been too good for too long. And so we're sleeping. Yeah. No, it's really important. We need to wake. We all need to wake up. 
mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of things happening now. Um, like I've been feeling quite pessimistic about the future because there's just so much disruption, so much division, and people just don't seem to be able to meet anywhere. You know, like it's it's like we're really fractured. Mm-hmm. It's an enormous concern because, you know, we can't solve any problem like climate change or, you know, um, all of the divisions that we see in the world um, from that position. We actually need to find a place where we can meet. Mm -hmm. And as humans, as persons, as, you know, beings of of light and peace instead of beings Mm -hmm. that are, constantly polarized and on different ends of the spectrum and trying to blame someone or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious of your own inner experience because my, what you say, oh, I'm here... shutting people down. Sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of censorship as well. Like an enormous amount of censorship yeah. and silencing going on, which mm-hmm. really worries me. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm curious about your inner experience here. When you say those things, it brings up my own inner experience of, Essentially, you're describing in some level, you're describing how I treat myself, right? And it's like the way that the collective is having a hard time or is like so divided, so too I notice in myself, like my inner critic is like against me and my I don't know, I tend to I tend to try to go both ways on the spectrum of when I hear something about the collective, I try to understand it as a personal anecdote of myself. Absolutely. And well, also we're all when a I reflection f- of one another, right? So Yeah, exactly. And when I feel it in myself, I imagine how that manifests in humanity at large. So I'm wondering, um, it seems like you've had a you've had a particular gift in your life of of being heard. So quite literally, right? Just like, like to be a singer is to, I was in, I was in fourth grade. My choir teacher heard me sing something. I was like, oh, you, oh, you can, you can sing. Oh, here, you're, you're, she gave me a solo at the, at the, uh, the Christmas pageant singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. 1,400 people. I've been practicing for a month. And I just totally blow it. And I just, the feeling, the feeling of just utter horror that I had that being eight seconds into singing the song that I had another two minutes of and just feeling like I was totally blowing it. So I just, that's just such a relevant memory in my, in my childhood and just imagining growing up as a singer was something that I couldn't do. That's something oh, that... Oh, well, you know, and most people have the reverse story. So they were in fourth grade or sixth grade or eighth grade and the teacher singled them out to actually either leave the room when the choir practiced or to lip sync while everyone else was singing. So mm-hmm. I've heard that particular story hundreds of thousands of times probably and those people's voices were silenced. At least you were singled out to <laughs> not be silenced. <laughs> So even if you blew it, if you thought you blew it, I'm sure you didn't really blow it, but in your mind you blew it and you're carrying that, carrying that with you. But it's amazing how many people actually then rediscover their voice. And, you know, when I talk about finding your voice, I don't necessarily mean just your singing voice anyway, but your voice, your meaning, your purpose as a human being. Um, and, you know, we're seeing this major silencing of people with any contrary view to the dominant narrative a lot of the time right now and this is very scary Mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't know how to you know how to fight back or how to be heard and so they just they just shut up and and from that point on they're you know they're being squashed as a human being from their full potential and their light is dimmed Mm -hmm. and that is very sad because and especially if it happens to children and it happens to a lot of children you know Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, know that, you know, I've heard a lot of stories, for example, where an art teacher will say to a kid who's drawing purple clouds and 
you know, pink trees. Well, no, you know, and they tear up their page. I've heard stories of this where they tear up their drawing, which is so creative and imaginative, and say, well, no, the tree trunks are brown and the, and the clouds are grey. It's like, well, if a kid wants to draw the clouds in a different colour and draw the trees in a different colour, brilliant. You know, <laughs> let's, let's reimagine our world. Um, yeah. It is scary. And I, I, I feel like what you're referring to there, I, I call the cancel culture, this just mob yes. mentality that is, yeah. it's anti-contrarian and it's anti-dialogue. It's anti-conversation. Yeah. Um, I think no, that, and, you know, that's really, really sad because that's what I call positive human collisions. Mm -hmm. So you might've heard my Ted talk, Ari, where I talk about the most, important thing that we can do as human beings is collide with people who are really different from us mm. regularly and who have different viewpoints and that take us out of our comfort zone and, you know, disagree with us. And it can mm -hmm. feel very uncomfortable, but that's where our greatest learning happens. Mm -hmm. Whereas we tend to hang out with people who are like us, similar educations, financial background, who agree with us and make us feel good. But actually that's not where our growth is. Yeah. It's not where innovation and creativity can spark either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's um, there's some kind of sweet spot there where essentially that's what we're looking for in this. I would almost call it the game B movement. I would almost call it the circling, the authentic relating, the like there's this there's this way of connecting with other people where we both bring what is real and we um, bring a lot of truthfulness subjectively and we bring a lot of unknowingness objectively and uh, humility and honesty and we create a space where we can actually see each other we can kind of take the mask off and we can see That's each right. other yeah yeah and you know i look in your eyes i see myself you look uh -huh. in my eyes you see yourself you know because we are all part of the same <laughs> Mm. And we've lost that, that knowingness of, you know, what is, what is real and what is that we're all part of one another. And yes, it is scary. I, I share the sentiment that it is scary that we're losing our ability to dialogue with other people. Like just like we're losing our ability to dialogue with each other. And I think that the yeah. social media and anonymity or like the facelessness of yeah. typing and interacting with each other where we have, you know, 2000 friends, very shallow relationships online, as opposed to, you know, we've gotten out of the Dunbar number tribes that we used to, that our brains were just evolved to regulate these emotional communal connections with. Um, yeah. It is very scary. I'm and curious. You know, what we also see is, is this, these attacks on social media. So, you know, recently I was on a big national TV program. I've been on it before, but on this particular occasion, because there's so much division around the management of this crisis that we're in, um, you know, I had a particular view, um, you know, and I have a, a very strong view around liberty and freedom and human mm -hmm. rights and so on. And it's the first time that, you know, I actually got some, some trolling. I, I didn't know what really what trolling was before this, where these, you know, anonymous people with aliases, they don't even disclose their, their name, you know, are starting to attack you as a person. Uh -huh. It's not even like your arguments. Yeah. It's like they start to say, make character judgments about you. Well, they don't know me. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the first time that I went, wow, now I understand why people harm themselves once they get trolled. You know, so we hear of celebrities who, you know, commit suicide because they're getting trolled because they can't handle what's being said about them by people they don't even know the identity of, yeah. which is tragic, right? So what are we doing to other people? Like these are our brothers and sisters. No shit. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. It is a, it is. And especially in times where taking a meta perspective or taking a, omni-considerate perspective, trying to look at things from all the different angles and points of view and options. And, you know, we know that when we optimize for any one thing, we create second and third order 
effects that we cannot predict. And it seems like everyone's just so addicted to that and so clung on to that. And so when you um, stand up against the mob and say, hey, maybe, you know, what is worse, people killing themselves from COVID or suicide? You know, it's like, um, we might, we might be optimizing for the wrong things here. We might have been optimizing for the wrong things for the last hundred years or 200 or maybe a thousand years. Correct. Correct. Because what price do you put on our mental health Mm -hmm. as human beings? You know, Mm -hmm. like you can't compare, you know, um, deaths from like a pandemic with deaths from mental health. And, And if we create a very traumatized, you know, future generations through this crisis who experience trauma, you know, anytime anything comes up in the future over and over again, that actually compromises those people's whole life. I mean, we're seeing children now in Australia, in Victoria, where we have this, you know, pretty much martial law. People are imprisoned in their homes. It was 23 hours a day, now it's 22 hours a day, if you can imagine, with this curfew. And... You know, like basically what's happening is we're seeing a lot of young children who are not eating, they're not speaking, they don't want to learn online, which is fair enough because kids actually need social engagement. They need to be with other peers and and teachers and just be, they can't be with mum and dad all the time, you know, like, and and especially if their parents don't get on well, you know, like. Even worse. um, You know, and in a small flat or, you know, I think we all understand what's going on, but this is setting people up for a very hard lives and, and a lot of trauma, you know, that is going to be become intergenerational trauma because whatever trauma we haven't cleared in our own life when we have children then passes on to our children and their children. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we have to let go of our baggage as soon as we can. Yeah, it's a really... It's, um, there's something deeply disheartening for me to talk about this. There's something yeah. deeply disheartening to talk about this with you. I'm sorry. The, <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> I know, I know, but still. <laughs> the idea that we are optimizing for things that aren't wellness is tragic. Right? It is tragic. That we don't tragic. optimize for wellness. How is wellness not the thing? How is wellness not the tip of the fucking pyramid? How is that? Exactly. How is like yeah. our psychological well-being not the tip of the fucking pyramid That's for right. humanity? It's you know so scary. <laughs> it's so scary. Right. I'm listening to this like deep house. I was like, I'm a video editor. I was listening to this deep house track today and it sampled this woman saying, in a world where war is holy and sex is obscene. We have everything backwards. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, like making love should be the most divine experience. Um, And, you know, and we should avoid war because we should build understanding between us as human beings. Always been very difficult as of course through the ages, but yeah, I, I still hope for that. Tell me, tell me your experience because I've had such powerful experiences while I'm walking on the trails here. I live very close to nature. My whole life has existed in nature and all of these sports. And so as now I'm outside and I'm seeing these people, they'll come around the trail, they'll come around the corner on a trail and they'll step 15 feet off of the trail and they'll quickly cover their face with a mask. And then there's like this, there's... um. Mm. The first, you know, the first time I want to laugh at them, but like the 50th time I'm like, Oh my God, I want to like hold them and be like, no, it's okay. Like that's not, it's okay. You're safe. It's okay. You're safe. Yeah. Like you're safe. You're here in the world. Like this is okay. I'm wondering if you have a similar experience as you see, what is your experience as you see people unnecessarily covering their face in public? All of that. Yeah. I mean, I just, but you know, for me, I see that all, you know, quite a lot of the time. And, and it's just that people have been indoctrinated with this fear mm-hmm. and this catastrophe. And actually the far greater catastrophe is the loss of our psychological freedom and well-being, which mm-hmm. you pointed to just before. That is the greatest tragedy of all. What do you think the effect of being so close 
to the Holocaust yeah. has on your viewpoint here during COVID? Uh-huh. Look, I do. I mean, sadly, I do see an enormous amount of echoes um, of of the Holocaust, and it, it has been triggering me. And I know uh-huh. a lot of other Jewish people who've also been feeling very triggered. You know, when I see um, articles and posts where people say, you know, this is like like Victoria at the moment, or Mel- you know, Melbourne, a city of over five million people, Victoria, a state over six point five million people, and I'm seeing posts that say this is like 1930s you know, Germany. And that just breaks my heart. Like, haven't we learned the lessons of the past? Like, why can't we learn these lessons? Um, Like, and I'm not blaming anyone for this. Like, we all collectively, we all collectively have to call this out. And we have to start to state facts as they are. I mean, this Mm -hmm. pandemic, and I'm not minimising the deaths, and every death is tragic. And whether it's an older death or a younger death, it's still tragic. But, you know, 99.99 something percent of people recover from this. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing is a, an incredible amount of double standards. And we're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of um, things occurring, like lockdowns, like curfews in Melbourne, like people not being able to travel more than five kilometres and stuff like that from their house. There's no scientific evidence behind these particular rules. They're just made up by politicians who are like dictators who are just basically making up these rules because they're Mm -hmm. having, they're being granted with enormous powers. And no one is, a lot of, not no one, but a lot of people are not fighting against this. They're they're like sheep. Like it's like we've given over our power as human beings to mum and dad but not our mum and dad. It's these mum and dad politicians and leaders mm-hmm. who are really calling the shots. So we've given away our power. Mm-hmm. And we see approval ratings in Australia for some of these politicians who've locked down their states and locked their borders and all of this that have been really soaring. Which so is fucking crazy. It is. So that... So that what we're seeing is that people feel like they're being kept safe. In fact, Mm -hmm. they're not being kept safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, their psychological safety is, is like at an all time low. Wow. If I've given away all their power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I might tie this back here, if I might tie (laughs) this back or just like the connection that wants to be made in my head here. Sorry. I didn't really focus on the Holocaust question quite enough there probably. No, I thought I thought that would, the answer was very salient and I, oh. I can only imagine the relevance in your mind having seen that and seen authoritarianism take such a huge leaps and bounds in such yeah. a short period of time, just as you said, triggering what is such a deep intergenerational wound and yeah. something that is collectively still not that long ago, right? So The connection that's wanting to be made here in me is what you're referring to here is this archetypal protection by a paternal and maternal force in the world, right? This paternal force that is the authoritarian Australian government putting in a curfew and saying, this is how I'm going to, I'm going to protect you. And the, uh, from my point of view here, that only makes sense that only makes sense to people who have not achieved personhood and are still living in an adult body, but embodying a psychological childness. Correct. It's like our sovereignty has been totally usurped. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to claim that personhood, but unfortunately, you know, not, we need to do the work to, as you explained earlier, to achieve that personhood so Mm -hmm. that we can, see trans we can see very clearly how we're being manipulated Mm -hmm. and unfortunately um in australia you know we and i i don't like i i mean i love this country that's why i live here but you know a lot of people say oh the sheeple you know Mm -hmm. instead of the people it's like we're following these authoritarian edicts like we're sheep we're asleep Mm -hmm. at the wheel and we cannot step into our full being this um, because we haven't done enough work mm-hmm. yeah. often on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, 
often on ourselves. And I'll add that just our structures of parenting, our structures of development is so econ-centric and not psychological well-being or developmental that we find ourselves in this place. And the thing that I want to kind of inquire here is I see this, the sheeple thing, you know, you're talking about the sheeple really like it sets me off on just a number of people that I know who are um, a bit further down the rabbit hole of all of the possible myriad authoritarian power plays and the lizard elite and the, you know, like we could call them conspiracies and, um, and there's a disdain for the sheeple. There's a disdain for the sheeple. Yeah. And, but also the politicians know that people are, are so, so trapped in this now uh-huh. as well. And they're, they're just using their power to manipulate people into further fear and further compliance. Uh-huh. And so what we're doing really effectively is we're disempowering um, people from their, their true freedom and their true potential as humans. Agreed. And my question is, what do we do with the sheeple? How do we love the sheeple into a higher level of personhood? How do we, like literally, like... Put, put these medicines in the water supply. <laughs> <laughs> joking, but you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Mm. No, but I mean, it has been, you know, it has been suggested that we need to, to go to Canberra <laughs> where we have our you know, seat a parliament and do this. But no, I mean, this has been mooted over the years. But how do we do it? I mean, I think, yeah, it has to come from a place of love uh-huh. um, and say, look, you know, we understand that you're afraid, but we need you to step up and we need you to, to yeah. really educate yourself on the facts here. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's I don't like know. fighting for peace. Uh, the quote... The quote that comes to my head there is fighting for peace is like fucking for virginity. Yeah. yeah. So how do we not fight here? Because like the first thing that comes up in me is a fight response. Okay. The sheeple, like how do we like get the sheeple to wake up? Like, let me just headlock them. I'll just like headlock them and then wrestle them down and convince them to be on the other side. Okay. Wait, that doesn't work. All right. So it is a no, very difficult know, I mean, thing. You know, there are some people who say that um, because people are not fighting back because they're not stepping into their personhood, let's say, or into their full adult. They're not questioning the dominant narrative that they deserve Mm -hmm. everything that they're getting. Mm. And until they do step up, it's going to get worse and worse. Um, Mm. And until people realize that they've lost everything that they thought was part of their birthright. Like, is that what's needed? Like, I really hope not because that would be a, an absolute tragedy and I'm not sure that we as a human race can recover from that at scale. So, you know, yeah. what is it going to take to wake up? Yeah. <laughs> What's a good day to wake up? <laughs> What's a good way to wake up? Yeah, these are all very important questions. These are all very important questions. And I don't... And, like I mentioned before, I think that the power that we are glimpsing in these new communities is an ability to come into dialogue without the answers and without the, what's the word, the, um, like the fervor, the devotion to the belief, but rather the devotion to the process, the devotion to the space, the dialogue, the, um, the authenticity to take the mask off and to create a space that other people are willing to take their mask off with you. Well, that's right. And that's hard if people are living very much in a sort of three dimensional way. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, if, if all the people see is the main news headlines every day, they're watching just the, you know, the echo chamber that keeps mm-hmm. reaffirming their particular set of beliefs and the algorithms work brilliantly to give them what they want. You know, so if you don't go outside that echo chamber and if you don't go and have the positive human collisions 
that are going to challenge your thinking and your beliefs and take you out of your comfort zone, then you're going to keep getting what you've got. Mm -hmm. And how do you jump out of that? I'm not Mm -hmm. really sure. Like you have to know that you're being manipulated. Yeah. Well, I think that here we are back in the beginning of the conversation, which (laughs) is when we're in a cycle, it often takes a very powerful disruptor and a Mm -hmm. disruptor like uh, Harmala and five grams of psilocybin Mm -hmm. is a powerful enough disruptor to pretty much knock anyone out of any loop that they're in, at least for the uh, next five hours. So well, absolutely. And I mean, if you, if you do those, those medicines with, with intention and with a guide there and you then start to really integrate your insights mm-hmm. over the next period of months, I mean, like my husband and I never had another um, medicine ceremony till a year after the first one. Mm-hmm. Now we regularly have ceremonies probably every few months mm-hmm. um, because for us, it's like a reset or a reboot, mm-hmm. you know, of the hard drive or, some people describe, you know, using these medicines as defragging the faulty disc. Mm-hmm. That was the word I was, that it was hanging on was defrag. Defragging, you know, cleaning mm-hmm. up all that baggage that we're carrying along. And you have mm-hmm. to you periodically have to do this because, you know, you, you keep stuff gets, even if you don't want it to, things get put onto you, projected onto you. You're mm-hmm. carrying things along, even no matter how, aware you might be and how Mm -hmm. awake you might be. You still might have things that are attaching to you that you have to just clean up. And um, one of our favorite researchers describes the medicines as antibiotics for the minds, Mm -hmm. for the mind. You know, it's like this short course that helps you to just clean up your mind. And Mm. um, Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. I've had a similar experience and I've also had experiences, you know, I've been on so many trips and especially in the last three years or so, it seems that it really, the painful stuff, it just brings it up. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't defrag it like so that it just goes to the trash bin and then you just click oh. here and it's gone. No, it actually just yeah. brings it up right into your totally. face so that you have to, you have to be there. You have to deal with it. You have to look at That's it right. and then you integrate it. I think that what That's we're talking right. about here in a general sense is a lot of emotional metabolism. This is how we digest the reality that is existence. This is how we process what it is to be a person and to feel grief and to feel sorrow and sadness and to have people die. And the reality that, that life is suffering is like, you know, this is just, this is a way for us to wake up. And it is also a way for us to connect. It's a way for us to maintain. It's a way for us to defrag. Well, that's right. And one other way that I probably describe that, um, and you've, put it so well is you know that really we're bringing our shadows into the light Mm -hmm. um and we're transmuting them and you know there's this alchemy happening as we walk into that darkness and we can't walk away we need to walk through yes you know whatever's in the way Mm -hmm. is the way you know that saying yes and that's the work of a good guide there is and that's the work of intention and doing it deliberately because like i said i've had hundreds of mushroom trips uh, only a fraction of which in the recent years have been really deliberate, have been really intentional, have had a intention set. And um, the idea that a guide will help you um, when, you know, prime you, prime you in a way that says, okay, you're going to feel scared. When you feel scared, what do you do? Well, we go towards it. We don't go away from right. it. We go towards it. Okay. And there just such a, it's like being on top of a mountain and if you change your course ever so slightly, you end up just miles and miles away from where you would have the other way. And so that's just such that's a right. stark right. deviation of the path that, um, that that kind of thing can take. And so I just want to re-emphasize the, that, you know, I guess we've kind of touched on this a couple of times here in this conversation, which is that it's actually not necessarily the drug itself. It really is more the process of intention with a deliberation there is something that we have to endure in our in our trip in our journey in our lives there's something that we endure there's these um 
And like I said, in this conversation with Verveke, he lays out all these key elements of these things where there's like, there has to be an intention, there has to be a powerful disruptor, there has to be a journey, and then there has to be this higher level of being that you're stepping into. This higher level of being has its inherent privileges, it has its inherent responsibilities, it has its inherent expectations biologically and chemically and societally, culturally, in your family, all these different things. And yeah. I think that these medicines are such a powerful way to help us step into higher levels of personhood and the ways in which we make these plant medicines work for us are also the ways that we make our lives more meaningful and we can have these kinds of things without the medicines. Because yeah. one of the things that I'm kind of dancing around is essentially one of the my best friends who I do these journeys with all the time, he has young children. And so the conversation has always been, at what point do the children become part of the journey? And the question has not been at what age do they take the drugs? No, but what part do they take part of the journey? We give, sure, we'll give them a caffeinated green tea while the rest of us drink a mushroom tea. Mm -hmm. And we still have them do the same kind of intentional ceremony. We still have them yeah. do the same kind of reflection onto their last year or their last quarter. Yeah. We still yeah. have them do the same kind of, um, you know, using their imagination to imagine what they want, their place, their role, their feelings, how they want to feel, how they want to be, all of these things. So I really love that the work you're doing, I think I just commended, and I think that it is both. It is both the technique, it is both the, the object, and it is also the analog, right? It is also like the metaphor. It is like the, yeah. it's the medicine and it's the metaphor. It's such a beautiful thing. It is. That's really, that's really, um, I agree with you entirely. And look, you know, I'm not really an adv advocate uh, for children taking these sorts of medicines, um, you know, but, but at a certain age, I think, if you could be, I, you know, I would have loved, right, to have known about these medicines like in my late teens, early 20s and had the opportunity to be guided by someone really wise. Mm -hmm. I think it would have made my life um, maybe just flow more and I think I would have stepped more into my personhood earlier mm -hmm. and I would have probably had a bit more self-belief a bit earlier mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I... Yeah, I regret not having the medicine sooner, but you know, it happened. And that's at the funny. Right time. That's funny that you say that because for me, what comes up for me is I regret, like, I wish that I had the guidance, not the yeah. medicine, because I had the medicine and I didn't have the guidance. I didn't no, have you, the parents. Yeah, I think you need you know, both. Like, you need both. You exactly. can't do one without the other, no. that's for sure. No. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely need both. I love it. This has been a yeah. great conversation. I'm so glad we did this. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ari. Um, the other thing too, I was just thinking is um, you might want to put a couple of pieces of music into the podcast mm -hmm. uh, because I've got some beautiful, I'm going to give you, send you four gifts, which will be four albums that I've done recently. Um, and you can download them and you can put them on your playlist if you like them. There's some beautiful tracks. Thank you so much. I would love to feature that stuff. in the episode. Yeah. And you know, if you want to do a link, I'll send you links to, Mind Medicine and my TED Talk, and you might want to put some links with it and we'll share it further. Absolutely. Very interesting conversation, very different to other conversations that I've had on this topic. So mm. I think uh, you're, um, yeah, where are you going with your, I mean, like, it's really interesting <laughs> to contemplate, like, what your, what's your, you have some particular, what do you want to end up doing in the next couple of years is, because you're obviously going down a path that has a, a strong psychology bent, like your knowledge of psychology and humanity is really advanced. And obviously you're doing some work with some amazing teachers and mentors. Hmm. What's, where's that going? Is that just for your own self-development or is that? <laughs> I don't know. This is such a, this is such a good question. And I'm so happy to, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you asking and I really appreciate your reflection. Your reflection means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. So I think um, in its inception, it is my, it is my development. It is my healing. 
Yeah. That is what I'm working through right now. It is yeah. absolutely all of the shit that I'm dealing with right now is my healing it is my parental wounds. It is my childhood yeah. traumas. It is all of my shit and my shadow and the whole thing. Right. And so to be able to be in such in conversation with people like Verveke and Enriquez and Peter Lindbergh and all these crazy, I have no idea how I got in touch with these people, but I'm so glad to call them my friends yeah, has been yeah. such a transformational time. And so when I look back on COVID, I think that COVID changed my life for so drastically the better. It's so, it was a fire under my ass. And so I'm so grateful for it in that sense. Not a lot of people can say that by the way. Yeah. And it also really brought me, something. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the fire under my ass also projected me right into the bullseye, right into the crosshairs of the cancel culture mob. And yeah. that was its own experience, right? Yeah. You were spoke, you were speaking to me, directly earlier when you talked about how my light was dimmed by the projections of other people online onto me. So I felt that very viscerally and I felt a depression for at least 10 days that I was just shut up. I knew I just couldn't publish. I couldn't speak. I just couldn't do yeah, it. And it was, terrible. it came from Absolutely people so terrible. close to me and it was just yeah. crazy. So yeah. I felt that. So what I want to where do I want this path to go? I don't know. Hopefully into my own development and healing first. I think that- Oh, I'm sure that will happen. That's happening. Yeah. That is happening. I feel it every yeah. day. But yeah. I the, the riff that I'm just, I keep harping on is the idea that by changing ourselves, we are changing the world because I am the world. Yeah. And so I am- No, Mahatma Gandhi put that very well. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I think that- both I am trying to do my part there by changing yeah. the world through changing myself and also lead by example that I'm willing to, like I'm willing to even publicly, like it's a crazy time to be a public intellectual right now. And I'm even willing to publicly acknowledge my shadow, my fears, my infantile mm -hmm. man-child nature that still lives inside of me that I have to face. I'm willing to do that publicly as a, way to model the behavior that I want to encourage in the world. So I'm not sure where it's going to take me. I don't know uh, of any destination, but I am, I do have my finger on the pulse of some kind of process here that's ongoing inside of me. And it seems to be, um, I mean, it's bringing me into dialogue with some very interesting people, interesting ideas, and as well, it is unlocking a, dimension of depth in every relationship that I have and in the relationship I have to myself, no doubt. No, oh, that's brilliant. Um, when you get my music, you're, so I, I, I create a lot of beautiful and really timed playlists for ceremonies. So mm -hmm. not that, not that I'm sending you one of those or the seven and a half hours or whatever, but I, I heard what you said before about creating those playlists mm -hmm. and sitting with people in medicine and stuff. So congratulations on that. It's fantastic. Mm, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. It starts real slow, real tribal, and then yeah. it turns into a full on overnight dance party and then it comes back mm -hmm. and is very reflective. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I love creating playlists for the medicines. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Well, we oh, should I do this again. I meet you sometime. Yeah, I'd I would really... love that too. I would love that too. Yeah. So how are you earning money at the moment? Like what do you, what's your sort of income? Well, like I've been a you... professional athlete for the last five yeah. years or so. And yeah. I've had a number of sponsors that, um, okay, so that one, sort of kept you going. yeah, that's kept me going, but COVID that just like dried up immediately. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, but I'm also a filmmaker. I'm also yeah. a podcaster and the podcast yeah. doesn't make me any money or not much money. And, um, so yeah, I do filmmaking stuff for some local restaurants, friends, people who I can oh, collaborate okay. with, who I can be honest with, who can, I can be personal with. I I'll never be a professional. I've realized I'll never be a professional. I'm only a professional athlete. That's all I'm professional at everything else. I'm just going to be personal. I just want to be in collaboration and in dialogue and in play. So good on you. <laughs> yeah, but I would love to figure out some kind of way to be more financially stable. That's a big area of growth in my life. That's I'm being oh well, you know, I mean, your podcast could end up being could could end up being 
big. I mean, you, you're a great interviewer and I think that um, your own personal depth means that, um, yeah, I, th I think that could be really beneficial for you. Mm, thank you. I appreciate that encouragement. And I've felt, I felt encouraged just by the transformation that it's had in my life. I feel encouraged just by that, right? Yeah. So That's I think perfect. the podcast is something that I, I, I agree. I feel like I have a knack for it. And I agree that it's something that I want to pursue monetarily or not. Yeah. I love having yeah, these kinds of conversations and, and connecting with people like you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, look, send me, send me a link. I'll send you all these links and, and any things that you can use in my music and let's stay in touch. Um, we'll talk again when I'm back. Yeah, and if there's any others you want to connect me to anytime, let me know. Like, I'm sure there's going to be people that you interview or talk to that could be relevant for. You would know that we have this advisory panel for the for mind medicine. So if there's any interesting intellectuals that you do interview that you think, oh, Tanya should invite them on mind medicine, please let me know. Perfect, we'll do. You do the yeah. same, okay? I will. Anyone okay. that I come across that you should interview, I've got a few ideas in mind already. So. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Thanks, Tanya. I'm so glad we did this. Thank you. Take Have care. Have a beautiful day and uh, evening and safe travels with your adventures. Thank you so much. Stay in touch. Take care. Bye. Okay, you guys. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I really appreciate Tanya coming on. It took us forever to get that scheduled. She's in Australia. It's a big ask. So, yeah, follow her work at mind medicine australia get on the mailing list it's very interesting stuff they're doing over there with potent effects and so yeah stay tuned thanks for listening you guys stay healthy stay sane stay safe support the show at paypal.me slash air in the air and we'll see you on the next episode